0: Okay? I'm glad you're here. I want to begin by uh just telling you a story something that happened to me yesterday and um just the importance of uh the importance of being together and sharing ideas with each other. So that's kind of the theme of this story, but um here, here's what happened. Uh it was um it was Shabbos, and uh we we had um a a, a little kid over. He's um he's like maybe 2 years old and he was walking around and next thing i know he's dislocated his elbow and you know he's, he was in pain he's a little child in pain this is not great and you know we've got to get his elbow uh fixed up not not you know back in its socket or something like that so so, so how do you do that exactly and you know you don't want to you don't want to experiment right you you, you want to take them to a doctor or someone who, who knows what they're doing, obviously. So, And then it was also just boiling hot out. And, um, you know, the, the idea of, like, where do we go? And just, you know, you're walking outside. It's, it's, it's Shabbos. We're not getting into a car. Maybe we should get into a car, by the way, because maybe this is something that you would, you know, uh, use the phone for or, or, or drive or, or call an ambulance for. So I, we didn't really know any of the answers to this or what to do. We just knew that this boy had a... Dislocated elbow and, and, and needed some help and was in pain. So, so we're trying to figure it out. And and my wife says, like, do you know do you know a doctor a doctor nearby? And I'm I'm thinking and I said, well, there's someone uh, there's someone a few blocks from here, but he's a cardiologist, right? Which is of course a heart doctor, right? And this is like a little kid with a dislocated elbow. So, but you know, we're just we're grasping at straws at this point. We're just thinking, oh, so. So, and so, my wife got excited, like, okay, maybe, maybe that's a good idea, because that is only a few blocks from here. And so, so, she says, do you know the address? And I said, I, I don't know the address. And so, she, she, now she's looking up the address, and my son hears cardiologist, and he says, ah, there's a cardiologist right over there. And he points out our window, and the house facing our house is what he's pointing to. He says, a cardiologist just lives right there. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking a few things at this moment. One thing that I'm thinking is, I don't know how a cardiologist is necessarily going to be able to help in this situation. That's the first thing I'm thinking. The second thing I'm thinking is, we're, I've been living in this place for, I think, around 13 years. And I'm not exaggerating right now. In 13 years, I have never seen anyone go in or out of that house. <laughs> This is the house facing us. I'm I'm serious. I've never seen anyone enter that house. So, you know, even in the best-case scenario, it seemed remote. But everyone got excited about this idea that there was a a doctor so close by. And so uh, the parents took the child, and I think, you know, maybe a couple of other people walked over, and walked over to the house. And they're knocking on the door, and I'm thinking, well, you know, I don't know... How uh, productive this is going to be, <laughs> and then and then Judy, my wife, says, "You know, go over there. You should be part of that, you know, contingent." So I walked. I, I walked over. I was a little late to the party. You know, I, I I walked over there, and you know, three quarters of the way across the street, I hear, "Oh, he fixed it," and I was amazed. First of all, that he was home. Second, that he fixed it, and I'm thinking in my head, he's a cardiologist, and then it turns out he's not a cardiologist. He's an orthopedic surgeon, <laughs> which is, you know, you couldn't have asked for, like, the more precise specialty for, for what the ailment was at this moment. Now, why did my son, who's 17, think that he was a cardiologist? Because a couple of years ago, our next door neighbor on the other side um, was walking their dog and or the dog ran out, whatever it was. The dog got hit by a car and unfortunately was killed. But but this this man, this doctor came over and was checking the pulse on the dog, you know, trying to, I guess, save the dog. And and so for whatever reason, my son thought cardiologist. Now, I asked, I said, I I, I said to him, if I hadn't said cardiologist, right, because I, I thought there was a cardiologist a few blocks from there. Would you have made the connection to think of that person across the street who you thought was a cardiologist? And he said, no, I wouldn't have made that connection. So because I said cardiologist, he thought, oh, cardiologist across the street, who, of course, turns out to be an orthopedic surgeon and saves the day. And then we invited him over, you know, we wanted to give him something, and he said, no, no, and then like five minutes later, he shows up with his silk tie in order to make a sling for the baby, for his arm, you know, and then I gave him a shot of scotch, and he downed it and said to me, l'chaim. <laughs> <laughs> so I tell you, just... Before, I just want to just explain what I take from that story in a moment. But let me just tell you just another story, just because that reminds me of something else. Which uh, Someone, uh, when a, a, post, uh, a postman, you know, someone who works for the uh, post office, a mailman, uh, came to our house. I don't know what it was, maybe a month ago. And um, he, you know, he dropped off the mail and he was, you know, he was a, probably. I I'd say he was probably in his late twenties. Black man, shaved head, big smile on his face, and you know, I saw him standing there. It was a hot day. I asked him. I said, "Can I can I get you some water?" And he says, uh, "I said, can I get you some water or something to drink?" He said, "He said, I, I I'll take uh, I'll take some scotch." <laughs> and it was probably I don't know what time it was. It was maybe. I don't know what time it was. Oh. It wasn't 9 p.m. Okay? <laughs> it was it was sometime maybe maybe one in the afternoon, something like that, approximately. So I went inside, and uh, and I got uh, I got a bottle of scotch, and I poured him a shot of scotch, and I came out and I gave it to him, and then he smiled. And he downed it, and this was my favorite part. He downed it and went ah, Beverly Hills, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was just perfect, you know. So uh, these, these, these broadcasts are coming from Beverly Hills, by the way. So <laughs> anyway, so I uh, I really appreciated that. But anyway, getting back to the the the, the child with the So that was a a miracle. As far as I'm concerned, that was a a miracle that that happened, you know, in in front of us. And and you had, you see, we we have a teaching in the Torah, which is all are blind until Hashem opens their eyes. And so you see that the, the salvation was actually right there, a few feet away across the street. But we never would have known it unless God had opened our eyes to it, if you will. And and you know, I'll I'll tell you a a story, a very personally meaningful story, um, which is that when when I had my my first child, who's you know also I think the, the hero of this story, the one who pointed across the street, Moshe. Um. So that's, he's 17 now, so that this is now a story of when he was a few days old. You know, children, um, young young children, like babies, newborns, can't see very far. They can just see a few, I, I don't know scientifically what the exact measurement is, but maybe a few inches or maybe a foot or whatever it is in, in front of them. They, they, they can't see very far. And, you know, it's... Uh, children, babies will cry when they're hungry or when they need to be changed or something like that. But but certainly when they're hungry. And, you know, especially when you're a new parent, if a child is crying, this is, you know, even if he's not, whatever it is, it's just, you, you feel it very strongly. Um, or extra strongly, I should say. Um, we all feel it anyway. But you feel it extra strongly and you, you want them to stop crying. And, and, and I sensed that he was hungry and so... You know, I tried to reassure him, I said, I'm going to get you a, a bottle, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this, and, and I'm making the bottle, and he's still crying, he's crying, he's crying, he's crying. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm, I'm doing exactly what he wants me to be doing, and yet he's still crying. Like, you know, it was sort of like, it was, it was hard, you know? And, and I, I made the bottle, and I got it within, you know, say, uh, whatever it was, maybe say uh, a foot and a half, so he can see there's the bottle, it's coming, and he's still crying, crying. And then I got it a little closer, he's still crying, crying, and then I put it in his mouth, he stops crying. And I thought to myself, you know, I learned a big lesson from that, uh, which is that the baby in that story, m- my, my son, that that's so often, That's that's all of us. And that it's possible that you're, salvation can actually be, your salvation can be being prepared in front of your eyes and you don't even have the eyes to see it. You know, like you might have a particular need, whatever it is, we all have needs. And it could be that God is orchestrating the solution to your need at that moment, but we don't, we don't have the eyes to see it. You know, and here it was, like, exactly what it is that he wanted. It was literally in front of his face, and he didn't see it. And then it came, and then, ah, he saw it. So, so, so here we were, and we're trying to figure out, like, how do we help this child? And we're brainstorming, and we came up with the wrong answer. There's a cardiologist across the street, but that wrong answer turned out to be the right answer. So, you see, from this, I I learned the following, which is that when, when people come together and they try to help, even if they don't necessarily get the right answer, Hashem will assist you. You know, because here you see an example of how that happened. We came up with the wrong answer. But that wrong answer turned out to be the right answer. Because God helped us. I said cardiologist. Moshe said there's a cardiologist across the street, which wasn't right. But then it turned out to be the orthopedic surgeon that that we could have only imagined. And he was home. So. So, you know, I I remember I was walking with my uh, father-in-law to school one time. And. You know, he was someone from from Europe, from Poland, from uh, you know the the old world, if you will, and you know had a you know classical Jewish education. Actually, it was interrupted by the Holocaust. So when he was young, so you know, it, I don't know how classical it was, but he he grew up in in pre-war Europe and definitely had was steeped in that world and that flavor and that outlook. And he, toward the end of his life, he was in Los Angeles. He was visiting, and we. We were walking to shul together, and he had a, a sense of humor. And there was someone walking to shul in the opposite direction. So he stopped the person. He didn't know him, and he said, w- "Why don't you come with us?" And he didn't even know the guy. And the guy was, uh, you know, clearly on his way to the place where he goes. So it was, you know, it, it was unclear why anyone would have accepted that invitation. <laughs> Just put it that way. So. But he was by you know there's a a, a Yiddish word, uh, reitsing. sing means joking. So he was reitsing with him, you know. So but but he brought out this point which I which I never forgot. Which he he said to the guy, look, you're uh, see it's a kind of a play on words, like in 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 Yiddish, a, a name for a Jew is a yid, right? Like you, you, to this day you hear people called yidden. You like in Chabad circles, you hear that a lot. Yidn, right? So, so that's that's plural already. So, a singular for a Jew is a yid. In fact, it's even a slur word, you know, in English. You know, you, you, but it's really it's just Yiddish for a Jew. So, there's really nothing uh, inherently derogatory about it. But anyway, so but a yid is also the letter yud. It's a bit of a play on words, but a yid is a is a yud. So, what my father-in-law explained to this person was that the reason why we have to go together is because one of the ways that you spell the name of God is Yud and Yud. If you have two Yuds together, that's one of the ways that we spell the name of God. Okay? And so what he was saying is, look, you're a Yid, meaning a Yud, and I'm a Yid, meaning a Yud. And the two of us are together right now. So that's like the name of God. So we have to go together. Otherwise if we're separating, that's no good. So So what I'm trying to tell you is that when we get together, something godly happens. And then you make a you create a vessel for goulah for redemption to come down. And, and, and so that's why it's very important for us to gather together and to share with each other, because you create an environment where something can happen, right? When it says in the presence of a minion, right, which is, you know, what you, you know, a quorum for, for prayer, like that's like kind of like the spiritual vessel for that. It says that the Shekhinah comes down. So God's presence comes down because you've, through gathering together, you've created this, this vessel. So there you see it in, a, in another way when I'm, when I'm trying to illustrate. But, but um, anyway, so, so I, want to, I want to tell you a, a teaching that I saw that uh, made a big impression on me. It was, was very striking from the Ropeshitzer Shitzer Rebbe. Uh, the Ropeshitzer Rebbe, if you're not familiar with him, was one of the great Hasidic masters. And was a, uh, a contemporary in, um, of the, of the Chos of Lublin, the Seer of Lublin, and, and, and many, many, many others. He, uh, really was one of the top, top rebbies, and was known for his wit. He was like, there's a lot of, uh, teachings attributed to him that are very sharp, and he was, he was very funny. He was really funny. But, you know, holy, holy too. And and I saw this teaching and I had to read it like a lot of times before I understood what, what it was trying to say. I hope I understand it. But you'll see you'll see his mind at work, his wit at work. But 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 anyway, here's the here's the teaching. He said, someone came to me and he said the following. He said, a friend sent me uh to you, meaning to the Rokeshat because he was uh too shy to come. Because he needs um atonement, he needs to fix his soul. And he he himself didn't want to come because he was basically embarrassed. So so can you basically tell me like how I can Fix this person, right? So the Rebbe the Rebbe said that it was clear to him that the person, his friend who sent him, was him, <laughs> right? That, you know, that he was just too embarrassed to tell the Rebbe that I've done X, Y, and Z. How can I fix my soul? So, instead, he created this this fib of sorts, this white lie, if you will, and said, a friend sent me to get this information that I can bring back to my friend. Okay. So, now listen to this. Uh, I'll repeat it a couple of times, just in case you have trouble following it. Just listen carefully. So, the Rupeshit Tzarevi says, since it was him anyway, in other words, since he and his friend were the same person anyway, He could have said the following. Listen carefully. He could have said the following. I'm coming to you, Rebbe, because a friend of mine needs some fixing. (laughs) Can you tell me how to fix my friend's soul? Now, do you hear the difference? In the first formulation... He's the he's coming not as the main person, but as the person who's the messenger, the person who's being sent. The Rebbe is saying, look, since the whole construct is made up anyway, why did you make yourself not the main person, but the person being sent? Why not make yourself the person who wants to help the other person? This way you're the so to speak the, the focus or the the, the the main active you know participant in this story you're coming to help your friend as opposed to just someone being sent by someone else. Do you hear the difference? Do you hear the difference now let me now it 's remarkably insightful this is very this is masterful this is masterful what he 's saying is the following if I understand it properly, what he 's saying is the following, which is that If you want to do tshuva, and what's tshuva? What is tshuva? Tshuva means not becoming someone else. Tshuva means, you know, one of the, uh, it means to return to God. Right? It means to fix your soul. So, and it's, you know, if if you break down the word, famously it's tashuv he. he. also often stands for Hashem. So, to return to Hashem. That's what tshuva means. So, and as Ralph Cook brings out, a lot of people are afraid to do tshuva because they think, I don't want to become someone else. You're trying to turn me into someone else. But it's not true. You're, you're, you're going back to who you actually are. That's what tshuva means. You're becoming who you are. Who you're meant to be. Right? So that's, that's, that's what tshuva is. Anyway. So, so here's a person who wants to do tshuva. So let's say you want to do tshuva, and all of us, ideally, we we're doing tshuva every single day of our lives, you know. So, so what? Which part of you actually wants to do tshuva? Is it like, Rebbe? There's someone who wants to do tshuva, and he's sent me because. He's too embarrassed to come. Well, if that's how you view yourself, then the main aspect of yourself isn't the one who wants to do tshuva. But if you come to the Rebbe and you say, I have a friend who wants to do tshuva, (laughs) so I'm coming (laughs) to help him that means the main aspect, the core of your identity, wants to do tshuva. And then you just have to help this other side of yourself, which has kind of wandered away a little bit. Do you hear the difference? Do you hear the difference? This is very, very important. This is very, very important. Because how seriously, how closely do you identify with the best aspects of yourself, or, or is it that, you know what, I'm, I'm who I am, is whatever it is, because of my, where the neighborhood I live in, or the family I was born into, or the school I got sent to, I got to do X, Y, and Z, and alright, so now I'm not doing it, now I got to do it, ah, you know, it's not, but it's not the core of my identity. Then that's, then that's, 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 that's an issue, you know. You know, there's a a famous thing, I'm not sure who I heard it from, maybe it was Rabbi Friend, I'm not sure, Rabbi Kersner, maybe, I'm not sure, Hello Shalom. But when Yonah, if you look in the book of Yonah, right, Yonah gets a prophecy that he's got to go to Nineveh to tell them to straighten up, and he has his reasons why he doesn't want to do it, so he tries running away from God, which... I guess he. the explanation that I heard, since obviously if he was on the level of being a prophet, he, he knew that you can't run away from God. But he leaves Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, where he thinks prophecy won't kick in, since traditionally we, we say there's no prophecy outside of Israel. Yechesko Ezekiel is the famous exception to that, but for the most part, that's, that's one of these spiritual rules. So that's why he ran away and got on the ship. Um. And, you know, the ship starts like a big storm. God sends this huge storm and all the people on the ship are like freaking out. They're like, why is God trying to sink our boat? And by the way, at the end of the story, all those people do tshuva. They all convert to Judaism. A very interesting thing. So they start, they start, they, they decide to draw lots. Like who, like because of whose issues is this happening? And then they figure out that it's Jonah. But before they get Jonah, you know, they're still trying to figure out wh- why everything is going wrong. And they search the ship, and they find on the bottom of the ship, Jonah is in a deep sleep. Right, and they're thinking, how can you be in it, sleeping in the middle of this storm, which is literally tearing apart the ship? And they say to him, "Who are you?" And he wakes up from this deep sleep and he says, I'm a Jew. And that's a remarkable thing. If someone woke you up in the middle of the night and said, who are you? That's a great answer. (laughs) You know, what does that mean? That means that his core identity, his core identity was someone who's attaching himself to God in this way. That was his that's his core identity. So again, that's the idea, like the Rokshitzer is saying, the person could have said, I'm, I'm coming for my friend, right? I'm here because I have a friend. So the I is the one who wants to return. Now, let me just make this deeper. Just to round out the teaching. You see, the Gemara says that there's seven names for the Yitzhahara. The, the evil inclination. That that side of negativity. Like, this idea, I mean, I, I don't know that we would necessarily um, visualize it this way, but just to give you just an easy way of, of, of understanding. You know, in growing up, you've seen it a million times in cartoons and in movies and things like that, where, where you've got the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder. Right? So, loosely speaking, that's not exactly how it works in terms of the... Torah philosophy, but nonetheless, it's not a terrible way to, to understand the, the dynamic between the Yetzir Tov, the positive inclination, and the negative inclination. Now, the negative inclination has seven different names, the Gemara says, and the most toxic of the seven names for the Yetzir Hara um, is, is Tzaphon, which means hidden. Now, the reason why that's the worst and most uh, destructive name for the Yitzhahara, the hidden one, is because it does the following. When, when you hear a voice in your head, like, I'll give you an example. Let's say, um, you know, let's say you're very hungry, and let's say you're trying to keep kosher, and let's say you walk by a non-kosher restaurant and... It smells delicious, right? And you're tempted. So, so maybe your positive inclination says, uh, "I don't, I don't want to go in there," right? And then your negative inclination says, um, "You should go in there. You know, it's really good. No one's going to know." By the way, I heard a a, a rabbi say one time. He he. He was a very nice man, and he used to, um, he said that one of just, one of his pastimes, whatever, just, just, he was a very eclectic, uh, slightly eccentric uh, man, and he'd walk up and down Broadway, and he'd he'd see a restaurant that sort of appealed to him, whether it was kosher or not kosher, a lot of times the, the, they'd put the menu in the window, right? So he would just enjoy, he liked food, he was just interested, he was a student of life, he'd go and he'd read the menu, see what they were offering So he said one time he was reading the menu on the window of a non-kosher restaurant. And one of his congregants was in the non-kosher restaurant. And you can understand from the congregant's point of view, he thinks that the rabbi is standing in the window looking in and seeing him. Which wasn't what was going on, by the way. But that's how he perceived it. And you can't really fault him for, for seeing it that way. And so he jumps up and he runs out. And he says to the rabbi, can I now say that this restaurant is under rabbinic supervision? <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, so getting back to our example, the, the, uh, the, the person's walking by the restaurant and the angel, so to speak, says, don't go in there. And the devil, so to speak, says, uh, no, um, you should go in there. Okay? So that's, that's a that would be kind of like a, a standard example. So now let me tell you what's so destructive, what's so toxic, spiritually speaking, about this notion of this seventh name that the Gomorrah says for the Yeshara, Tzaphon, the hidden one. Let's go back to our example. You walk by the the restaurant, say, just to use this example. There's a zillion ex- examples that you can use. And, and uh, remember, in the first example, the person says, I don't want to go in there, right? Because there's a struggle. And then the yetsahara, the negative inclination, says, no, no, you should go in there, right? Now, in this example, the person walks by, and this is the voice they hear in their head. I want to go in there. Now, in this instance, this is actually the Yesahara talking, but this is the seventh level of the Yesahara, the most spiritually destructive name for the Yesahara, because because in its hiddenness, what it's doing is it's masking himself as you. It uses the word "I." And it really isn't you. But, but it's it, it, so to speak, it, um, it's like spiritual identity theft. It portrays itself as you. And it says that this desire is actually your desire. And that this is what you actually want. And then you go, well, oh, I, I guess I, you hear that voice in your head. I want this. And now, this, a, a new type of conversation starts in your head. I do want that. Well, actually, I sort of do want, I do want this. You know, and then all of a sudden, it's sort of like, or, or, or I'm this, or I, you see? So, keeping the voices clear, the different energies clear in your mind, is very, very important. And a lot of times, this desire, which is maybe not proper, or, or what's 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 best for you, say, will express itself as I, but it's not necessarily you talking. Now, toward this end, I just learned recently from Rabbi Simcha Weinberg something very, very uh, special. I think a, an excellent bit of advice. And what he said was, that a person should give their yetsaharas, their negative inclinations, a name. And I'm going to try that. I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to try it. And I think that one of the benefits, and he gave as an example, he said that um, that in World War II, Winston Churchill called his, um, his depression black dog. Right? And so when you... When you name it, when you name it, then you can make this um, separation between you and it. Then, then it can't quite have this stealth technology, if you will, where it can assume your identity and appropriate the word I when it really isn't you. If you can call it something else, then you can, so to speak, brand it. And then you can go, oh, that's the Yitzhahara. And again, you can clarify the energies in your mind. And more easily be able to sort of like deal with the different sides of it. Is that clear? Very, very, very interesting. And actually, I'll I'll add something, which is in this talk, Rabbi Weinberg said that the name that he gave his was Rembrandt. And the reason was because if you look at Rembrandt, it's all darkness, if you look at it. And it's all like, if you have to look at it very carefully, and then you see within the darkness all these different shades of light and everything like that. So it's a very spiritually um, astute, you know, observation and, and name, you know. So, so that's... Uh, that's something that I recommend. I'm going to try it too, to give your your a name, you know, so that you can clearly identify it when it's when it's actually speaking. So, so I want to uh, I want to continue and just talk about something from the from the parsha. Uh, we this past Shabbos was one of the the, the few Shabbos's uh, of the year that actually has a name, Shabbos Nachamu, which means the Shabbos of Consolation. And um, it's a real turning point in the year. And as Rabbi Wolfson pointed out, maybe I can actually read read his words. Um, He said something that I I was so inspired by. I'm going to read it. He says... The aura of Elul, the month of Elul, of course, is leading up to all the high holidays. Now, we're still in the month of Av, but we've just turned the corner on Av. The aura of Elul can already be felt with Shabbos Nachumu and the 15th of Av, Tuba Av. We will now begin ascending a tall spiritual mountain which climaxes with Shmini So, if you want to know where you are right now, where we are right now, we're, so to speak, on the bottom of this spiritual mountain that now we're going to be climbing, 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 climbing till we get to Sheminiyat Saris. We're now on that divine conveyor belt, that divine escalator leading up to El, leading up to Rosh Hashanah, leading up to Yom Kippur, leading up to Sukkot, leading up to Simchas Torah, leading up to Shmini Saris. Awesome! Awesome, we're on it right now. We're on it right now. And it's just, you know, our year is really divided up into different energies and different periods. And this is really the most exalted period of the year. So you should you should just invest in it. Invest in what's coming. Know what's coming. Look forward to what's coming. Prepare for what's coming. Because it's really, it's great. And anyone who wants to... um increase in whatever level, you know, in terms of their closeness with God, in terms of just their mastery of their own actions, whatever it is, in terms of their own productivity, now is really the time where you're going to get the most help. So, so your, your efforts will be rewarded. And know that this is where we are now. One of the great teachings, if, if we want to talk about the shift in energy that's just taking place... Um, with tuba'av, with the 15th of the month of av, is from the Vinaya Saskar, who points out the following, that, you know, everybody knows that the holiest name of God, the letters yud and hay and vav and hay, that there are 12 different combinations of these letters. And there's 12 months. So each month has a different combination of the letters, a different permutation of the letters. And by the way, each one of those permutations correlates with four words in in the Torah, in the Tanakh, either an an acronym of the first letter of the four words or the last letter of the four consecutive words, whatever it is, correlates with that combination of the Yud and He and Vav and He for that particular month. Okay. So what's, and then you can learn out a lot of very amazing things about the energy and the opportunities of the month from that combination. So the question is, what's the combination for the month of Av? And the answer is, He, Vav, Yud, and He. That's how the Yud-K-Vav-K is arranged for Av. Hey, Vav, Yud, and He. Now, listen to this brilliant analysis from the B'naiya Saskar. Okay? He says, look, the beginning of the month of Av has tishabav in it, right? And the nine days, right? So the beginning of Av is strong din, like very strong din. You know? So, so that's, it's like very, like the judgment of God is upon us, because that's, of course, when the holy temples in Jerusalem were destroyed, both on the same day and the Spanish Inquisition in the beginning of World War II, which led directly to... I mean, World War I, which leads directly to World War II. You know, and countless other tragedies have befallen us in this period. Okay. So, the first two letters of, of, of the combination of Hashem's name for Av is Hay and Vav. Now, that is the, the spelling of God's name backwards. Right? Because normally speaking, the way you would spell God's name, and remember, God's name, Yud and He and Vav and He, stands for Rachmin, for mercy, for compassion. So if you spell the name in the opposite direction, that hints at judgment, the opposite energy to Rachmin, to compassion. Okay? So if so, if you start to spell God's name backwards, Yud and He and Vav and He, spell it backwards, it's He and Vav. That's the backward spelling of the name, which hints at judgment. OK, so again, hey and Vav is already spelling God's name backwards. All right, let's return to what the name of God is for Av. OK, we said it's hey and Vav. And then yud and He. So but it begins with He and Vav. So from that, you see that the beginning of the month of Av, which correlates with the first two letters for the month, is Hashem's name being spelled backwards? And in fact, the beginning of Av is a time of very strong judgment. It's when we have the nine days in B'Av. But then what happens? How do you spell the rest of God's name for for Av? Then it goes to Yudin Hay. Right? Which is actually the proper spelling, the direct spelling of God's name. Not only that, but here's the the final part. Yudin Hay is the Gematria 15. And 15 is the 15th of Av. Tuba Av. Which is what the Gomorrah calls with Yom Kippur, the happiest day of the entire year. So you see, you've got an entire spiritual blueprint for the energy of the month of Av based on the combination of God's name for that month. He and Vav, God's name being spelled backwards. That's the judgment aspect of the beginning of the month. And then Yud and Hay, which equals number 15, which is the 15th of Av, Tuba Av, where it reverses and becomes very positive. So that's where we are right now. Now, now listen to this. I saw Rabbi Reisman has a a book Art Scroll puts out on, on the months of the year. And one of the things that he goes into in this book is he analyzes the different combinations of God's name for the different months. And I saw he pointed this out that I I mentioned to you that for the 11 out of the 12 months, 11 out of the 12 months, when you've got the combination of God's name, each one of those letters, in whatever the combination is, correlates with a, a four word, four consecutive words from the Torah in some place. It's an acronym, right? So... So, right, so everyone knows what an acronym is, right? So like UPS, right? United Postal Service, right? So the U is United, P is Postal, S is Service, right? So when we do it with the letters of Hashem's name, each one of those letters correlates with a different word, and it's four words in a row. They're taking a a passage from somewhere in Tanakh, okay? So he says the one exception is Av. Av is the one exception of, when they do that four-word permutation, hey, vav, yud and hey, right? That that's actually a word. That's a whole word that's being taken. In other words, the reference point is not four words, as it is 11 out of 12 times, but it's one word. Is, is, is everyone hearing? And, and the name of the word, I, I, I don't have the book with me, I'm sorry, you have to look it up. Am I communicating? Okay, let me try to explain it one more time. In other words, normally speaking, like, let's use the UPS example again, right? What if UPS, in this instance, normally always represents United Parcel Service, but we say UPS. What if UPS actually was a word in the, in the English language? And that the UPS for that month actually just means the word UPS, that UPS actually is a word. Right? UPS. What does UPS mean? UPS means whatever it means. It doesn't stand for one, one word of four words in a row. Hey and Vav and YUD and HE actually correlates with four different words. It's actually the spelling of one particular word. In other words, it's a unit in itself. Does everyone follow? Not so much? Yeah? Still confused? No? Everyone's with us? Okay. Okay. Now, let me, let me tell you what I, I, I take from that. Because I think that that's very significant, that it's actually one word instead of referencing four words. Because one word tells me that it's a united experience. That it's not being spread out. That it's a thing in and of itself. Meaning to say the following. What is inherent in that, in that combination Hey and Vav and Yud and He. It starts off bad and then it gets good. Right? Because that's the energy of the month. Right? The nine days of Av, to And then it becomes Tuba. It becomes good. But instead of spreading that out, I think the fact that it's actually one word, one unit, which is unique from the other 11 months, is that what it's saying is, that is our experience. That is this world. That is one unit. That is one coherent whole. There is no life that doesn't have negative times and good times. That's one distinctive chunk. You don't have to break it down and correlate it beyond what it is. There are hard times and there are good times and they're together and that's life. That's what it is. And we have to understand that. You know, I'll tell you something which might sound very flippant. And I don't mean it as something flippant, but I just... I just want to bring it. You, I, if you had to pick someone in the world who you would, who would imagine probably doesn't have a lot of problems, right? I don't know why I thought of this example. It might mean nothing to you, but mm-hmm. I thought it, of it years and years ago, and for some reason it stayed with me. I would say someone like the Queen of England probably doesn't have a lot of problems, big problems, things that we would consider big problems. And yet, you know... I imagined, for some odd reason, the Queen of England having to get dressed for some public event. Some parade, some coronation, and her standing in front of this closet full of dresses and feeling as though nothing is the right dress. There is no right one for me. And you know something? It's, it's actually a little bit kind of absurd, really. But, you know, England as an empire, was the dominating political military force in the world for, like, centuries. I mean, there was a famous phrase, the sun never sets on the British Empire, meaning to say that Britain had territories all over the world. So whatever time on the clock it was, it was daytime somewhere within the British Empire, right? Now, do you know how the British Empire makes news, meaning to say the royal family? Do you know how the royal family makes news? Whose hat is the smallest and the prettiest? They review the hats. This is the only time the British royalty, you know, it's like in today's news, makes the news. Have you seen, is her name Pippi? Pippa? Pippa's hat stole the show. And and they're actually not being ironic. They're not being scathing when they take seriously this awesome review of her hat at this gathering at a racetrack. My goodness! This is the premier hat! Do you know what we're talking about? We're talking about the British Empire. The British Empire has been reduced to review of a hat of a girl at a race. I mean, can you imagine... A better definition of being marginalized. So, 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 so the queen, I'm sure, has some level of recognition that what she wears is important. And it is. It is. Because there will be tremendous press attention. And so, I could imagine and this is just my own imagination speaking, that she has been standing in front of a wardrobe thinking, nothing's right. Nothing looks right. Nothing is going to be, and I'm going to embarrass myself, or I'm not going to fulfill my my duties as a proper representative of the, 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 the majesty of the, the British Empire, and of royalty, and it's going back thousands of years, and I'm going to be a a public embarrassment. Has that ever happened? I don't know, but I probably, human beings being human beings, probably. So I'm saying, you know, there is no person, it's a long way of saying the following, there is no person who doesn't have their, their downs. And if it's not, if their problem seems absurdly small to you, that doesn't mean that it's absurdly small to them. It's very real. And so there is no life that doesn't have happy times and sad times. There is no life. And so the fact that you've got this combination of Hashem's name, which talks about happy times and sad times, all together as one unit, it's one word. It's not four words. It's one word. It's one unit. Speaks to me about the human condition, the human experience. And so if you're going through a hard time, this is life. And if you have, God willing, a happier time, this is also life. You know, There's a famous story, and my wife said that in her going to school, that this was the best lesson that she ever got from any of her teachers. One of her teachers wrote down on the blackboard, Gamze Litova. No, 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 that wasn't it. That's also a famous phrase. Gamze Yavor, thank you. Gamze Yavor. I wouldn't have come up with that, so thank you. Ganze Yabor, which means, this too shall pass. And there's a famous uh, medrash connected to that, which is that Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, who, you know, ruled, in terms of Jewish history, we say that the, the reign of Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, was the height of the, historically speaking, the height of the power of the Jewish people. In fact, he was the wisest man, and we talk about how all sciences that were spread around the world, that the wise men, the wise people of all the nations would come and learn from him, and that basically he kind of brought worldwide learning, things that aren't ascribed in terms of mathematics and science to the Jewish people, you know, but all of it really goes back to Shlomo HaMelech teaching the wise people of the world these various things and then them going off in their own way and developing them on their own. Because, of course, it says in the Talmud that among the nations we have genuine wisdom. Not Torah, but wisdom. But, but, but the, the incubator for much of the wisdom of the world was Shlomo Melech, And there was peace in the world, and this is really one of the, the, the greatest periods in human history. So Shlomo Melech was sitting there, and he asked his craftsman, one of the craftsmen who was part of the empire, he said to him, Make me a ring that I can wear that when I'm depressed, it's going to lift up my spirits. And if I'm flying too high, meaning to say, if I'm if I'm 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 feeling uh, uh, an aspect of perhaps um, arrogance or something like this, that it will bring me down to the ground. So in other words, it would have to be the same phrase is going to pick him up and at the same time, perhaps bring him back down to earth. Right, so that's very hard to do. Like, how do you find one phrase that's going to fit on a ring that's gonna that's going to do this? So the craftsman writes down, makes him a ring, and it says on it, "Gamze Yavor, this too shall pass," meaning to say, you're having a hard time, it's going to pass. Right now, you think that you are the king of the world, you own everything, everything good in the world is because of you. It's also going to pass. You know, just. Take it easy, appreciate the moment, appreciate the moment, receive the moment, but also understand that it's not always going to be like this, you know, so, so you have both of those things. I, I was, uh, I saw, and I actually bought it for my wife, you can buy it yourself if you're interested, you have on the internet, someone just made a ring, that you can buy a silver ring that says Gamze Yavor on it, so you can actually purchase such a ring if you're interested, you know. So um, anyway, uh, we'll stop here, and um, so so, uh, oh, I wanted to tell you more about Nahamu. I wanted to tell you more about Nahamu. Shall we go a couple more minutes? Just go a little bit more? Okay. so, so, okay, good. So I just want to say the following. Which is, as I mentioned, this, this, this past Shabbos, which is a turning point in the year, it's Nachumu, we say, it's a Shabbos of comfort, consolation. It's coming after the tishabav after the ninth of Av, after all the hard times and everything like this. And I'll tell you something, before I get to the point again, just such a strong teaching from Reb Leibola Eger, one of my favorite Torahs. So, everybody knows that we're always reading the same Parsha of the Torah after Tisha B'av, And that is Vayeschanan. That's the name of the Parsha. Now, Vay- Vayeschanan is significant because it has the repetition of the Ten Commandments in it. Okay? So that's, that's very important. You've got it earlier in Shmos and in Parshas Yisro, but you've got the repetition of it always after Tisha B'av. So why? Why is God, so to speak, giving us the Ten Commandments again after Tisha B'av, Which is what we see what's happening. Because whatever's going on in the Torah, that's what's going on in the world. Okay? So, Reb Leibola Eger says the following. After the Jewish people fell spiritually with the uh, event of the golden calf, the Cheta Egel, Everybody knows Moshe smashed the tablets, the Luchos, right? Now, when he smashed the tablets, the first commandment says, Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I am God, your God. So the Jewish people, says Reb Leib Eger, had a spiritual crisis at that moment, which is that the the, the writing of God himself, right? Because it says it was written, Kaviochul, so to speak, humanly speaking, with the finger of God. Obviously, God doesn't have a body. He makes bodies. But nonetheless, sometimes the Torah, so that we can understand it, expresses itself in this way. So God himself wrote, I am God, your God. And now that's been smashed. So the Jewish people ask themselves the question, is God still our God? It's an understandable question, no? So, Rebleva Eger says something so beautiful. After all the tragedies of history, which is really symbolized by Tishabav, by the ninth of Av, all the historical tragedies, a person in all the struggles that we've had in our own lives, a person can ask themselves the question, understandably, is God still my God? And so, the first thing that happens after Tishabav, the first thing that happens is God gives us the Ten Commandments again, and it says, Anochi Hashem elokecha, I am God your God. So that every person should understand that no matter what we've gone through historically, no matter what you've gone through personally, God is still your God. He's never stopped being your God. He's never stopped. Whatever we've gone through. So now I just want to build on that sentiment. And now this is me talking. So it says, Nahamu Nahamu, Ami, right? Be comforted, be comforted, my nation. That's it, God speaking to us, after Tishabad. And you see that it begins with the two, with two words that begin with the letter Nun. Nahamu Nachamu." Nun Nun, right? So I wanted to say the following, that these two Nuns of Nachumu, Nachumu, this double comforted, is coming to fix the two upside-down nuns in Parshas Sveloscha. If you look in the Art Scroll Chumash on page 786, it's in Sefer Bamidbar, the book of Numbers, chapter 10, verse 35, you're going to see Two upside-down nuns. And it's actually in the Torah scroll itself. And these two nuns are coming at a time in the Torah, what the Torah is talking about, is when the Jewish people are just like messing up right and left. And in fact, in order to avoid the chronicling in the Torah of three mistakes in a row, which is called a chazakah, it has a halachic significance. It's like making an oath when you do something three times in a row. Even if you don't have intention that you're making a vow, with your actions, you're sort of making a promise that you're going to continue to do this. You see? One of the things that when we do Hathars Nadarim, um, before Rosh Hashanah, nullification of oaths, is that we're coming to wipe away any, any practice that, that we've sort of uh, inadvertently vowed ourselves to continue to do. It's technical. You have to look into it. But, but nonetheless, the Torah didn't want to list three negative actions of the Jewish people in, the row, in a row. So they put it in this bracketed area in the middle. Okay? And it's talking about the Ark of the Torah, what the tablets were carried around in. And it's, That's a famous phrase from the prayer book. When we open up the Ark to take out the Torah, we say, we say this passage, by Ibn Tzohar our own, talking about the traveling of the Ark. Now listen to this, something very, very interesting. So what am I saying? This is again me talking. I'm saying that the two nuns, Nachumu, Nachumu, are coming to correct the two upside-down nuns over here. Now listen to this. Something amazing. Something amazing. I don't remember the names, but some of our greatest teachers, that I remember, I just don't want to say the wrong name, but this is coming from our, our, our deepest, deepest spiritual tradition. This area between the two nuns, it's only two verses of the Torah, but the Gemara says that it's a separate book of the Torah. Okay. And interestingly, if you count this as a separate book, that means that there's actually not five books of the Torah, but seven books of the Torah. Because what this does is it separates Sefer Bamidbar into three books. Since this is happening in the middle of Bamidbar, the area before it is a book, this is a book, and the area after it is a book. Which means there's seven books, not five books. Okay? That's one opinion in the Gemara. So this is called, even though it's just two verses, this book is called a small book that's actually a large book. That's the teaching that's brought down. Very cryptic teaching. It's a small book that's actually a large book. Well, I see how it's a small book, right? Because it's only approximately 85 letters. How is it a large book? Now listen to this fascinating, fascinating thought. You see, the Torah, so to speak, was canonized, meaning to say the Tanakh. Right? Tanakh means Torah, uh, Ksuvim, Nevim. Or Torah, yeah. am I saying it right in the proper order? Or Nevim, Ksuvim. Okay. Which means the Torah, the Chumash, the five books, the Nevim, the prophets, and the Ksuvim. That's like the book of Psalms and things like this. Okay? So, so the okay that's a that's a big question I'll, I'll tell you later, so that's the Torah Shabbal Peh. that's the oral law, okay. So, that was God's explanation of the Chumash to us. Okay, so in other words, the the verses in the Torah themselves are very short, but they contain a lot of information. So our tradition is that when God gave the Torah to Moshe at Mount Sinai, God says, write this down, and then God then explained to Moshe what the verse means. And that's where we get the oral law, the Torah Shabbal Peth. Like for instance, where it says that it says on Sukkot, take the fruit from the beautiful tree. It doesn't say the Eser. It just says, take the fruit from the beautiful tree. In Jewish history, Jews have been spread out in the four corners of the world for since the beginning, right? On Sukkot, there's only one way the mitzvah of the four species, the Arba Minim, has been observed. There's only one way, and that's with an esric. So, listen, you know, the famous thing, you've got three Jews in a room, you've got four opinions. So how is it possible that everyone read the fruit of the beautiful tree... And everyone's independently came up with an esoteric. I mean, what are the odds of that? I'll tell you. Zero. The odds of that are zero. Okay? So that means that we had from the very beginning an explanation, which is not in the written Torah, of what the Torah meant. And whose explanation was that? God's own explanation. That's the Torah Shabbat Peh. Now the Torah Shabbat Peh gets handed down. For generations and generations and generations, and ultimately gets written down, and that becomes the Talmud. Okay, it's actually more detailed than that, but that's that's the basis of it. That's the essence of it. Okay. So now, since the Torah was finished being codified, approximately two thousand years ago, do you think that God has stopped recording our actions? It says right in Pirkei Avos, "There's a a hand that holds a pen." And all of your actions are recorded. Right? So, is it possible that that the Torah isn't still being written? The Torah is still being written. And when Mashiach comes in the end of days, you're going to get the next... Right? You're going to get the, the, the next edition. Meaning to say, now how is that going to become manifest? So, different explanations. One of the explanations is, that it's going to be the exact same sequence of letters as the five books, but the spaces in between the words are going to change. Right? That's one, that's one opinion. So the Torah is not going to change, but what we're going to have is an account of what we've been doing for the last 2,000 years, which is actually very exciting because you could be in the Torah. You know how Abraham is in the Torah? Sarah's in the Torah? You could be in the Torah. That's, that's pretty exciting. That's very exciting. It's possible, right? It's going to record everything that we've been doing for the last couple of thousand years. You know, if you merit it on some level, you'll be there. So, so anyway. Anyway. Where is that going to go? So, according to this opinion that I heard, that whole chronicle from the last 2,000 years, it's going to go between these two nuns. Meaning to say, and that's the answer of what this means, that cryptic teaching, that it's a short book that's actually a very long book. That that's where it's going to go. And if you think about it, it actually makes a lot of sense. This isn't me talking now, because that's talking about the traveling of the ark Through the desert. And if poetically speaking, what is the exile? It's the desert. And what is the ark, which contains the Torah? That's the Jewish people. So if you, how could you say it more poetically or more simply, that the ark traveling through the desert is the Jewish people traveling through exile? So thematically speaking, that's exactly what it's speaking about. So so that that section is going to contain a lot of tears, isn't it? It's going to contain the story of the entire exile. And that's why I'm saying the two nuns of Nachumu, Nachumu, God comforting us, are coming to fix the two upside-down nuns here, which is referring to the exile of the Jewish people throughout history. And interestingly, I said that if you go by the opinion in the Gomorrah that this is that there's seven books and that this is a separate book, this would be the fifth book. The Pasuk of Nachumu Nachumu It's I'll read the whole thing to you. Nachumu Nachumu Ami Yomar Elohechem. You know what? It's five words. Five words correlating with the fifth book of the Torah with the two nuns. And then I'll just throw in just this one more PS just because it just kind of blew my mind yesterday when I was thinking about this. I was sitting in shul and this was kind of all coming to me. And then I look at the ark. This is the ark at the Happy Minion, which was specially designed for us. And there's four handles on this ark. Remember, between the nuns here, it's talking about the ark. There's four handles on this Ark, each in the shape of the letter Nun. And I looked up and I said, there are the four nuns on the Ark. <laughs> Just like, you know, one of those moments, you know. All right. I think for sure we've got to stop. The truth is there is a lot more, but we'll save it. Okay, have a great week.